On his uh, deathbed, playwright Wilson Misner uh, was visited by a priest. And the priest uh, walked into his room and said, I guess you want to talk to me. And Misner said, why should I want to talk to you? I've just been speaking with your boss. (laughs) John Wesley, on his deathbed, uttered these famous, well, they've become famous because they're the last words of Wesley. His last words were, the best of all is God is with us. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on last words, especially if the person who uttered them knew that they were going to die. Because then we, we feel like that if, if they knew these were their last words, then these are important words. They're going to say something that's important, that's valuable, that's meaningful. And, um, of course, that's the case with Jesus. He hung on the cross. He knew he was dying. And so the words that he spoke from the cross are important words. They're important words for us to hear, and even more importantly, uh, for us to actually put into practice in the way that we live our life. So there are seven sayings in the Gospels of Jesus from the cross. And these have come to be known as the, the last sayings of Christ. These are the words he spoke while he was hanging on the cross. And uh, over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at these words that Jesus spoke. Because we kind of figure, since Jesus, knowing uh, these were the last words he would speak before he died, he spoke to us some pretty important words, uh, some words that matter. And um, so this morning, we're going to begin and look at the first of these cross-shaped words. Uh, And the first is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. (laughs) Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Those are shocking words. I mean, those are unexpected words. Those are not the words you expect to hear from the lips of someone who's just been crucified. Those are not the words that you and I would have probably spoken if it had been us. Those were not the words that the soldiers standing there hammer in hand were expecting to hear. It's not the words they had heard before when they crucified people. Forgive them. Forgive who? Who is Jesus asking the Father to forgive? Could it be the soldiers? Who earlier had made fun of him and beat him senseless? They mocked him. They cursed him. They drove spikes through his bare arms and feet. And without batting an eye, they lifted him up on the cross. And once his body became vertical, he could hardly breathe. And Jesus looked at them with his blood dried on their fists. And he said, forgive them. Was he talking about the soldiers? Really? The religious leaders were there. 
And unlike the sweaty soldiers, their robes and clothes were clean. They, uh, they didn't get involved in any violence. They, they let someone else do it for them. So they mocked him. They made fun of him. They were the poster child for how to kick a man when he's down. They were the ones, you know, the, the soldiers may have been the ones that drove the nails, but these were the folks who got the whole thing started, the whole thing going in motion. And Jesus knew that. So forgive them. Really? And then there's the crowd, mostly ignorant of what happened. Uh, they just smelled blood and rushed over. It was more like a sporting event to them. They hurled insults. Forgive them? Really? Forgive them for they do not know what they do. The soldiers were just following orders because that's what soldiers do. And the religious leaders were just defending the law and standing up for the faith. I mean, if you don't stand for something, you fall for anything, right? And then the crowd was intentionally ignorant because it was easier to just follow your emotions and prejudices than it is to find out the truth. So Jesus was accused of being a threat to the religious and the institutional status quo. And Barbara Brown uh, Taylor really understood the irony of this when she wrote, So the scandal of his death was not that an innocent man died, but that he was killed in the name of justice and faith by people who believed they were doing the right thing. Caiaphas, he was a protector of the Jewish people. He had spent over 15 years working with these Romans trying to keep the Jewish people off crosses. He worked with them in, in order to allow the Jewish people to continue to worship. He worked with them in order to, con to, to continue to be peace. And sure, nobody liked being occupied, and nobody liked paying Roman taxes, but it beat the alternative. Because if you rebelled against Rome, you got crushed, and it would be a bloody massacre. And Caiaphas knew this. So he worked hard to keep everybody in line and keep the peace. And so when he heard about this rabble riser from Galilee stirring up the masses, he got a little worried. I mean, some people were even calling him the Messiah. And Jerusalem was a powder keg. It could go at any moment. And Caiaphas was afraid that Jesus just might be the match. And it was his responsibility to put out the fires. He just wanted to keep the peace. Better one man die than many, he said. His math was solid. He was just doing his job. Forgive Caiaphas? Really? And then there was Pilate. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Crucified, dead, and buried. That's what the creed says. And Pilate, actually, he had nothing against Jesus personally. When they turned Jesus over to him, he tried to give him back. He, he shipped him off to Herod to try to get rid of him. And then he tried to release him. But they would have none of that. Jesus stood before him silent as a monk. And outside, they were screaming bloody murder. 
And Pilate hadn't even had his coffee yet. <laughs> He's trying to figure out, what do I do? I'm supposed to keep the peace. If I just let them have this guy, then they'll settle down. He's just doing his job. Forgive Pilate? Really? They did away with God in the name of peace and quietness, author Dorothy Sayers wrote. He wasn't killed by vice or corruption. He was killed by piety and due process. Jesus was crucified by people standing under the umbrella of doing the right thing. It is so easy to convince ourselves of our own rightness. It is so easy to convince ourselves of our own righteousness. And then we're surprised at the results we get sometimes. Pilate, the politician, the priest in their robes, the soldiers in their uniforms, the crowd in their blue jeans, all staring at a brown man who can't breathe and wondering how in the world did it ever come to this when everybody just thinks they're doing the right thing. It would be so easy at this point to turn this into a sermon about he also forgave us. And, and we could talk about how Jesus forgave us when he died on the cross. And it could turn into a nice sermon about our need for forgiveness and God's willingness to go to great lengths to forgive us. But, but if, it's, if it's possible, I would like this morning to do what we normally don't do. I would like for us to kind of get rid of our theological narcissism and not make it about us. It's not about us. It's about the one who is hanging on the cross. It's about him. Now, we're certainly in need of forgiveness, no doubt. But this isn't about us. This is about him. Take a good look at the God we serve. Because the God we serve demonstrates an ability to forgive that is beyond anything we can imagine. I mean, we're pretty good at sinning, but we are no match for God's love and God's forgiveness. So take a good look at what Jesus, not what Jesus did for us, but what Jesus did because that's who Jesus is. He is a God who forgives and loves and our sin, as great as it may be, pales in comparison to God's great love and forgiveness. Forgive them. Forgive the soldiers. Forgive the religious leaders. Forgive the crowd. Forgive Caiaphas. Forgive Pilate. And yes, forgive us. But what if Jesus prayed this prayer for us to not only know we're forgiven, but for us to emulate this forgiveness in our own lives. In his next volume, the book of Acts, Luke tells the story about a young man named Stephen. And Stephen was an important leader in the early church in Jerusalem. And the church there was under persecution. And so some of the same people that were involved in Jesus' crucifixion got together and they, they set up Stephen. They made up these charges against him. And then they brought him before the Sanhedrin, which was the same court Jesus went before. And he was charged with the same thing Jesus was charged with. And uh, 
While he was in there, Stephen preached this sermon that in my Bible is at least three pages long. And they listened until he got to the end, to the part about how they were stiff-necked and sinful people. And uh, then they'd heard enough. And they got so mad, Luke says, that they gnashed their teeth. And they dragged Stephen outside. They circled him. And they started throwing stones at him. And as the stones pounded up against his body, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell to his knees. And he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. In other words, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen understood that Jesus' death on the cross not only meant that he was forgiven, but it meant that now he had the power to forgive others. That now he had the strength to actually live and die like Jesus. And that's what it means for us. While I was preparing this sermon, I learned something I did not know. I didn't know this until this week. But in the Greek New Testament, this phrase that Jesus, this prayer that Jesus uttered is in brackets. The, the words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do is in brackets. And the reason it's in brackets is because if you go back to some of the oldest manuscripts, it's in some of the manuscripts, but the words are missing from other manuscripts. Now, uh, I'll spare you the technical arguments, but I agree with most scholars that these are the authentic words of Jesus. So if a scribe did not add these words, why did some scribes delete them? Why are they missing? If you go back to the time these manuscripts were copied, it was during the time that Christians were being persecuted by the Romans and the Jews the very people Jesus forgave from the cross. And the consensus is that there were a few scribes that while they were copying, they could not forgive their enemies, and so they left it out on purpose. Let that sink in. Someone entrusted with the task of copying Holy Scripture would rather pervert the scripture than change their own prejudices. Unfortunately, that's not the last time that's happened. I mean, these were supposed to be the good guys, the ones copying the scripture, but they failed because they left forgiveness out of some of their copies, just like we fail if we leave forgiveness out of our hearts. Just following orders like the soldiers. Just keeping the peace like Pilate. Just defending the truth like Caiaphas. Remaining willfully ignorant like the crowd. Father, forgive them. Forgive us. We sometimes don't understand what we're doing. Jesus died with forgiveness on his lips so that we might learn to live with forgiveness in our hearts. So today rejoice not only that you're forgiven, but that we have the strength 
to also forgive. Amen.